Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. All right, let's jump into the Word of the Lord today. I think it, I take it a great privilege and honor uh, to get the opportunity to share with you today, uh, and I'm looking forward to sharing God's Word. I want to talk to you today about just something simple I've entitled the starting point of faith, the starting point of faith. Many people, when they consider faith, they see it in a mature form, right? It's been tested. It's been tried. Some of you in your life, you've gone through trials and your faith has been tested to the point that it's solid. It's secure. First Peter 1 and 7 says these trials will show you or will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will be revealed uh, to the, or, or, I'm sorry, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And so we recognize that sometimes our faith is tried and we go through tough stuff, but that faith purifies, that faith is purified through those trials and tests. And some of you have come through. Your faith is strong. And today I want to talk about faith, though, in its infancy. I want to talk about faith from the beginning. Do you remember those moments of early faith? Faith when it was still a baby just trying to figure things out, just trying to understand. The kind of faith that's new, perhaps shaky, perhaps questioning, perhaps even clouded with doubt. And that's really what I want to talk about from the starting point of faith this morning. I want to talk about something that doesn't get talked a lot about in church. I want to talk to you about a subject called spiritual doubt. Today we're going to deal with a very important questions. Jesus asked those questions in talking about spiritual doubt. He, he, he asked people, why do doubts rise in your mind? Why do you doubt? The good news is for some of you, you, you would say you have no problem with doubt. And I'm thankful for you. In fact, some of you, you may even live by the motto, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And if that's you, that is awesome and I am so thankful for you today. In fact, some of you may even take it a step farther, and your motto might be, Jesus said it, that settles it. Doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. And for that, I applaud you, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. But for many people, for them, it's not always quite that simple. It's not that clean. I know a lot of people who'd say, I want to believe, but I'm a little more naturally skeptical, or I'm analytical, or I want to believe, but... I need some questions answered, or I need some things, I need to help have some things happen. I need to see some things before I can believe. I remember a man in the Bible who came to Jesus with a sick child, and Jesus asked him, do you believe? And he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think, if we'll be honest, most of us are somewhere in that quandary, right? We believe, but we got some stuff that we're still working on. And we need the Lord to help us in our little bits of unbelief that are mixed in with our faith. And I'll tell you honestly, that's many times where I am. I'm more like that. I'm more naturally skeptical. I'm, that can may be difficult for some of you to believe since I'm a pastor, but it's really true. In fact, growing up in church, I thought I was the only one who ever had any of those kinds of spiritual doubts. 
I grew up in a faith tradition where pretty much if the preacher said it, that's the way it was. Questioning was not allowed, and it was certainly frowned upon if you were brave enough to do it. Uh, higher education in some ways was even frowned upon because they didn't want you to get too smart because you might ask too many hard questions. So everyone else was on board immediately with whatever was preached or whatever was taught or whatever was whatever, and there was sometimes that I had questions. So it left me honestly in a bit of a quandary. Do I just go along to get along? Or do I fake this? Or do I put myself out there as the only person on my little planet who has questions? I wanted to believe everything. I wanted to take everything at face value, but the way my brain works, I had to learn for myself. I have to discover. I have to research and learn, and so I had questions. So rather than seem as if I didn't have rock-solid faith or rather than seem like I was rebellious, I learned how to fake it. I learned how to say the right things, seem like I was always in agreement, say amen at the right times, jump up and down and say hallelujah at the right moment. But somewhere along the way, all my, all my questions became bigger and bigger, and I was thinking I would fake it, thinking they would miraculously be answered, but they weren't. So I'd read books by certain authors, and what they'd write just didn't connect for me. It didn't add up, and I assumed something was wrong with my faith. They told me this morning that the reason, in first service, I hit my chest. Y'all hear that? It's like I got a bass drum in my chest. I guess my microphone is touching my collar because I'm sitting and everything is shifting up. And so I've got to adjust myself here a little bit. So I assumed I was wrong. Something was wrong with my faith because everyone else would see it, believe it, but I struggled with questions. I'd beg God. Please help me overcome my doubts. Answer my questions. But after a while, I got really good at faking it. So I struggled internally with my faith in God. Was the Bible real? Did it really happen that way? Did he really die for my sins? Did he really rise from the grave? Come back to life? I mean, why would he even love me? If he had the power to do all those things, looking at little old me, why would he love me? And then I'll never forget hearing a preacher basically condemn my entire generation because we asked too many questions. My mom and dad's generation, they had preachers that were stalwarts of the faith, and at least publicly they were, and then many times they put them on a pedestal, and whatever they said was the gospel. You could take it to the bank, and so they believed. Whatever they heard, they believed. But my generation, we've seen so many giants of Christianity fall to sinful activity that we kind of take on this mentality of trust, but I need to verify and our kids, my kids, are taught to question everything. And then the kids of the lower, next generation down, they're taught to just don't believe anything. So this preacher, well-intentioned, I'm sure, really damaged my psyche because I felt so guilty for daring to question the man of God or question my own belief system, for daring to feel as if I didn't believe. I felt my faith wasn't good enough because I dared to have doubt. And so for years, I learned to wrestle in my mind with questions. But externally, I couldn't show that I had any questions until I came to a place where my world fell apart. Any of you ever been there? Oh, I got faith. And then the bottom falls out. And suddenly I had a crisis of faith and I'd never been allowed to wrestle out loud with the things that I'd been taught to believe. 
But now I wondered if it was all a lie because the way I had believed it or been taught it wasn't coming to pass the way I thought it should. As my world fell apart around me, I questioned whether God was real or whether he was just some myth that we'd made up to somehow give us a twisted sense of hope. Did miracles really happen or was it some psychosomatic mind trip? Was the Holy Spirit really active in the lives of people or was it just something we drummed up with high energy music and lots of dramatics? Just being real today. Some of you may not be able to handle what I'm saying, but I had real questions and real doubts. And I needed a real living God to pull me back from the brink and show himself strong and real in my life to remind me that he was real, that he did care, that he had not left me, that he was with me. Doubts come in all different shapes and sizes. There are people who obviously doubt the existence of God or even more than doubt. They just believe with all their hearts that he does not exist. And anyone who believes in that is, anyone who believes in God is foolish. That's how they believe. There are other people who will give God the benefit of the doubt, like, yeah, there's probably a God, some higher power, but I doubt his involvement in human life is real, or I doubt that he would actually care enough to hear my prayers. He's off on another planet just checking out things, and he doesn't have time for me. I've prayed about a lot. He didn't do anything, so he's obviously not paying attention or doesn't have the ability or whatever. Uh, Some people would doubt that God could actually love them. If there's a God after all I've done, God couldn't love me. God couldn't forgive me. I have too much I've done wrong. I know people who would say, I want to believe in God, and then I met Christians. They were hypocritical and kind of messed up. And How can I believe in God when his followers are so messed up? Doubt comes in all shapes and sizes. Now, for those of you who aren't normal church people, I'll let you in on some inside church people news. Church people can be mean. If you are one of them, I'll give you opportunity to confess it now. (laughs) Church people can be mean. And they can be mean to other church people. I don't, (laughs) Joe said no. Joe knows it's true. I don't know if any of the rest of y'all knew that or not, but it's true. And there's almost this implied belief in the church world, and sometimes it's more spoken than even implied, that if you have spiritual doubt, you're probably not in our club. If you ever have doubts, that means you don't have faith, and if you have doubts, you're probably not really saved. If you have doubts, then you're not really following Jesus. If you have doubts, then we don't even know if you belong in the Christian circle. You just need to pray more, read your Bible more, and then you'll get rid of that old doubt, and we'll replace that. And that's where I came to. I came to this place where because of fear of how people might respond, I buried my doubts inside. And then when I had a real crisis of faith, when my world fell apart, I felt miserable and alone, and dare say it, I even felt lost. And so what I want to do today is I want to jerk the cover off a little bit and take a different approach. I want to tell you today that it's okay to have doubt. Somebody in the back right now is going, oh, Lord Jesus, what's he about to say? (laughs) I want you to know today it's okay to have doubt. I want to reassure you today that if you have questions, it doesn't mean you don't love God. And it doesn't mean you're no longer part of the club. It doesn't mean that if you have questions that you're going to hell today. It may just mean that you got an opportunity for God to show show himself strong to you in a way you never saw him before. I want to reassure you today that God's not afraid of your questions. And he's not scared off because you have doubts. I would go so far as today that unless you actually push through some honest doubt along the way, 
you may never experience the depth of faith that you could possibly have. In fact, many people would say doubt is the end of faith, but I'm going to argue today that for many people, doubt is the starting point or the beginning of real, sincere, and grounded faith. They're going to put it on the screen. It's my major point today. I want you to write it down or remember it. Doubt is the beginning point or the starting point of real, sincere, and grounded faith. And to do that, what we're going to do, we're going to look at a guy who was branded as a doubter. His name is Doubting... <laughs> in Bible stories and Sunday school classes, this poor guy is known as Doubting Thomas. Poor old Thomas. If you read your Bible, he only gets 12 verses in the whole Bible. And out of those 12 verses, he is branded throughout history as a doubter. And what I love about Thomas, though, we're going to see this, is that his life shows us that who he becomes is evidence that even the biggest doubter can one day have the strongest faith. So let's look at him. I want to give you the context today. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's appeared to two guys on the road to Emmaus. And we pick up the story just after that in Luke's Gospel, Luke 24, verse 33, where it says, And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Of course they were frightened. <laughs> of course they thought he was a ghost. Why? Because, yeah, he'd appeared to Peter, and, yeah, these two guys from Emmaus thought they had seen something, but... The last time we saw him, he was dead, really dead, not just a little bit dead, not partially dead, all the way dead, completely dead. Can you imagine? You saw him die, give up the ghost, they pierced his hands, they pier pierced his side, they took, you helped him come down off the cross, you, you wrapped his body, you put him in a tomb, you saw Jesus dead, really dead dead and that's what's going through the disciples mind Jesus was dead and then we see him oh my gosh it must be a ghost Luke 24 38 Jesus says why are you frightened he asked why are your hearts filled with doubt so Jesus says to them and I, I think that's the big question he says why are you frightened and you can almost hear his love and compassion, like, come on, boys, you've been with me long enough by now, you know I'm not a ghost, this is the real me. Why are your hearts filled, or why is your minds filled with doubt? Hey, guys, did you forget? Did you forget about me opening blinded eyes? Did you forget about me healing deaf ears, raising the dead, promising you I'd give my life, and three days later I was coming back? Did you forget about all of that? That was the plan, remember? This was the plan that I told you I was going to do. And I already showed myself to Peter and two other dudes from Emmaus, this is the real me. Why are you afraid? I told you it was going to happen. Boys, why are your hearts filled with doubt? And then he says, look at my hands and my feet. It's I, myself. Touch me and see. And what's interesting, and you may not notice this upon a first read of it, 
But guess who wasn't there at that meeting? Take a guess. Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. How do we know? Because John's gospel tells us in John 20, verse 24, about the same story. It says this. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the other when Jesus came. Check this out. Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Thomas missed church. He skipped church that morning. I don't know if his grass needed to be cut or, you know, he had a picnic planned or he was going fishing or what, but he missed church. And you know, you miss a lot when you miss church. Thomas missed a lot when he missed this particular gathering. What did he miss? Well, he missed the presence of Jesus. He missed the power of Jesus. Jesus showed up in a room that just walked in. He missed the proof of Jesus. Check this out, guys. You can look at my hands, my feet. He missed the peace be with you that only Jesus can bring. You miss a lot when you miss church. That was for free. had nothing to do with my message, but just keep that in mind. Never know what might happen around here. Then John chapter 20, verse 25, it says, They told him, We've seen the Lord. So they tell Thomas, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. So what does Thomas really say? He says, I'm not going to believe he's alive. I want to, but unless I get to, then I can't. It may, be that, it may be that clean and simple for you, but for me, I saw him dead. He was really dead. And I get that you think you saw something, but unless I can see it for myself, I, I got to see it for myself. I, I want some firsthand experience. I got I to gotta see this for myself. You see, that's one of the big problems today, at least in American churches, is so many people just kind of believe because somebody else believes. They believe because their parents believe, or they believe because their grandma Old T.T. believed this, or old nanny believed this, and so they believe that, right? They just kind of believe because other people believe. Auntie said this, so that's what we're going to believe. I mean, we're kind of Christians because we live in a Christian nation, so after all, we're not something else, so we just kind of believe. That's why our world has gotten to where it is today. And then one day, something happens, and it shakes what little bit of faith you have, and then one day you ask, do I really believe this, or is this just something my parents believe? Is Jesus really the only way to God? I mean, it's a big world, and there are a lot of people, and there's a lot of people that believe a lot of things. Can I really believe that narrow of a claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? I mean, does God really exist? And if Jesus does exist, did he really rise from the dead? I mean, is this just all a story, and all of a sudden, I don't know if Grandma's faith is good enough to get you through those kind of questions. Don't miss the claims of the disciples. Whatever happened in that room that day, from there, they left out of there claiming that God loved us so much that he didn't stay in heaven, but he became one of us in the person of his son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin. And although he lived his life without sin, he died on the cross. He could become sin for us. He died as the perfect sacrifice in our place. Jesus himself claims he didn't stay dead. He claims, he claims and so do other eyewitnesses, that on the third day he rose from the grave. The stone was rolled away. They claimed he was risen from the dead. And if all of that is true, then it demands a response. And to me, the only reasonable response for a Savior who died for me is then to live for Him. 
And Thomas said, guys, this is so important to me. I can't believe it because you're telling it to me. This is so important to me, I want to know for myself that this is true. Because if it's true, if Jesus died, buried, resurrected from the grave, if it's true, it changes everything. Everything changes if what I, what I know, what I believe to be true is true. And so I can't believe it just because you're telling it to me. i got to believe it for myself. It has to be a personal experience that causes me to overcome my doubt. You can't have faith if you doubt. That's what we're taught, right? Like, oh, if you got doubts, you don't have faith. Hear me today. I'm going to say that you can't have real faith sometimes unless you press through sincere doubt. Doubts are not the end of real faith. For so many people, doubt is the beginning of a solidified, rock-solid faith that will carry you on to glorify God in all that you do. Thomas said, I want to believe. Kind of like that man earlier that I talked about, but help my unbelief. I want to believe, but I just need a little bit more. Some of you, you've got the want to believe, but maybe you need just a little bit of something else, and that's exactly what Jesus does for Thomas. We read on John 20 and 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. This is really cool to me. Notice the Bible points out that the doors were locked. (laughs) I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. That's just like thrown in there for extra... Like for people like me that are extra when they read the Bible because I want to know everything that's happening. That's just thrown in there for me, but I just think it's cool. The doors are locked. The stone didn't keep him in the tomb. And a locked door can't keep him out the room. Why? Because he's Jesus. And if you're there, he wants to be there too. Those doors are locked. They don't let him in. I don't know how he came through the wall. I mean, maybe he was looking at it going, well, here we go. I'm the son of God. And he just flows right through. I don't know. I don't know if he gets sound effects. I don't know. Somehow he walked through walls. That's impressive to me. Healing blind eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He walked through walls. He got through in rooms where the doors were locked. I mean, y'all get impressed because y'all watch like Ocean's Eleven and they managed to get inside a vault, but. They figure it all out. Jesus just walked in the room. Walking through a wall is really cool. I mean, it's like Dr. Spock being beamed up. Or Yoda appearing into a, into a space going, under you peace be. So after he shook him up real good by showing up in a locked room, appearing through the wall, he says, peace be unto you. And notice what happens next. Chapter 20, verse 27. Then he says to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into the wound in my side, don't be faithless any longer, believe. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus did. Jesus did not talk to any of the other disciples. They're all there. I'm sure Peter was jockeying for his attention. I'm sure James and John were still arguing about which one was going to be the greatest. I'm sure Andrew's sitting over in the corner and Matthew's probably counting money. Whatever. They're all there. But Jesus doesn't speak to any of them. 
He ignores them all. Just sit over there, Bartholomew. We ain't thought about you in 2,000 years. Just stay. Nobody knows what you do. You get less verses than even Thomas. Just be quiet. But he goes straight to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Now, this to me proves the omniscience of, of Jesus more than anything else. Because to my knowledge, the Bible never shows after that one encounter in the, in the room where he met with the, the disciples and Thomas wasn't there until the next encounter where he meets with them and Thomas is there that nobody told Jesus that Thomas said, hey, let me, I'm not going to believe unless you give me your hands and your side. I, I'm not believing it. Never. Nobody does that. Jesus shows up in a locked room, walks into the room, goes to Thomas and says, come here, check them out. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't say, Thomas, you didn't believe in me, so you go sit in the locked room, and you're in timeout. You have no faith, you can't be my disciple anymore. Nope, he did not do any of that. You know what he did? He gave Thomas what he needed to believe. He said, Thomas, you are so important to me that I'm going to show up in a locked room. You may be the one that locked the door. I don't care. I'm going to show up in a locked room, and I'm going to give you exactly what you need to have a personal relationship with me because I'm personally invested in your life, and I want to make sure you have opportunity to develop faith. Your doubts don't scare me off. Stop doubting and believe I am here. Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he asked for and what he needed to believe. And that's what happened to me. See, I went through this crisis of faith, and I began to question everything. I told the Lord, and I told my wife, I don't want to know God based on my mom and dad's experience. I don't want to know him based on what some preacher told me. I don't want to know him based on what the church has taught me. I don't want to know him based on what I learned in Bible college. I don't want to know him based on what anything else. I want to know Jesus for myself. And I asked my wife, I said, if all we had was our Bible, that's it. If all we had was our Bible, what would our relationship with Jesus look like? If all we had was just this book, what would Christianity look like to me? And so I asked Jesus to reveal himself to me, to show himself to me, and he did. He sent me to his word, and I began the book of Matthew, and I started to learn about Jesus. I was 30-some years old. I'd been preaching for years, and I began to learn about Jesus. I wanted to know him. I wanted to know everything I could about him. More importantly, I wanted to know the Jesus that the disciples knew, the one that they were willing to give their lives for. There was something special about him. That's the one I wanted to know about. I got to Matthew chapter 5, and I spent a year and a half in three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and I learned all there was to know that I could find about the character of what a Christian was supposed to be like because Jesus talked more about the condition of my heart than about the condition of the conditions of the world around me. He talked to me about the importance of making sure my heart lined up with his ways and his thoughts. And as I studied, I found a different Jesus than I'd ever been taught about. He became alive to me. His spirit became active in me. He helped me to grow and become better than I was before. And this is what happened to Thomas. Thomas said, this is what I need from you, God. I need to know for myself. 
I need to be able to, to, to experience you for myself. I, need, I can't take it on Peter's word, and I can't take it on John's word. I can't take it on Andrew's word. They're good fellows, and I love them, but I can't take it on Matthew's word. i got to know for me because it can't be just good enough for them. i got to have it for myself. Thomas, come here and see. Come here and see. See if I'm who I am supposed to be. In John 20 and 28, and again, maybe I'm putting, implying this to the Scripture, I don't know. But the Scripture does not say that Thomas ever touched his hands or touched his side. The Scripture does not say Thomas went in there digging around to make sure it was all there. He doesn't. The moment Jesus offered it, Thomas exclaimed, 20 and 28, My Lord and my God. The moment he recognized that Jesus was willing to be personal to him, the moment he realized that Jesus was not going to crucify him for his doubt, the moment he realized that Jesus wouldn't say, because you question me, I'm done with you, the moment he realized Jesus became personal to him, and he says, my Lord and my God. He didn't say the Lord God of my parents and of the other disciples. It wasn't a second generation faith, it was a my faith, my personal faith, my faith in him. He wasn't just believing in Jesus, he was believing Jesus. Notice the difference. He wasn't just believing in Jesus. A lot of us believe in Jesus, but I want you to believe Jesus today. I want you to believe Jesus loves you. I want you to believe Jesus died for you. I want you to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I want you to believe Jesus is for you. Not just because somebody told it to you, therefore you believe in it. I want you to believe it because you experienced it personally for yourself. And that's what happened for me. I discovered a very personal God who was concerned about me right where I was. He wasn't concerned about my doubts, but rather helped me to overcome them by letting me get to know Him. And I believe today that if you're struggling this morning with your faith, if you're questioning God's plan or His interest in you, a, a desire to get a hold of your heart, and you're going to, uh, if, you, if you'll express those doubts, I believe today, you're going to stop doubting and you're going to believe because you're going to experience a very personal God who's not satisfied with a distant relationship with you. He wants to come very close where you can know him and feel him and touch him and experience him. For me, it was the Bible. It was a new commitment to God's word that helped me to see Jesus for who he really is. I had a professor a few years back who really challenged me. He began the class by asking, if you had to defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ as someone who did not believe in the power of miracles, how would you do it? And, you know, because a lot of people would be like, you know, well, God has the power to raise anybody from the dead. If he wants to raise, he raised Jesus from the dead. That's, but if you didn't, if you had someone who didn't believe in the power of miracles, how would you defend the resurrection? And the entire class was built around discovering an answer, an apologetic to those who didn't believe in the resurrection. And one of the ways that you do that is you have to examine the historical record. You have to look at what was happening historically at the time that the resurrection happened. And when the resurrection happened, how the world changed, how things changed because of the events that took place on Easter 2,000 years ago. And uh, things that can be proven in history, not just from reading the Bible, but from all the historical records that are happening in that time. In particular, have to examine eyewitness accounts, people that recorded things that people said and did during that time. Now, I want to talk about things that want to build my faith. When I think about eyewitnesses to Jesus and I hear their stories and who they were, it really builds my faith. Uh, quickly, it begins to, my faith just rises when I think about, let's say a man like Peter who said, Jesus, I'm going to be there for you. And Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me three times. 
And sure enough, before the death of Jesus, three different times, Peter says, I don't know him, never heard of him, don't, want, don't know who you're talking about. He denied and he failed Jesus three times uh, before the next morning. And then after the resurrection, Jesus appears to Peter and he says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter's like, I'm trying, I, I really am, I, I, I do love you. And, and he said, well, go feed my sheep. And Jesus takes Peter and he begins to use him and Peter is so transformed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that he preaches on the day of Pentecost and one of the most powerful messages in the history of the world. 3,000 people are born into the kingdom of God. Peter becomes the rock that Jesus had predicted he would be and the church is built upon. And then when others come to Peter and say, unless you deny your faith, we're going to take your life, Peter says, I'll never again deny the Lord. And they say, they're going to crucify you as your Savior died and Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus did. And so they t put him on a cross and turned it upside down. And there he died, refusing to recount his faith in Christ. Something happened between pre-cross and post-cross that changed Peter's outlook on life. Something happened that caused his faith to be solidified. To go from a guy who denied he even knew the Lord, you're talking about doubt, to somebody who said, you know what, you can kill me, but don't do it the way you did Jesus, because I'm not worthy of that. But I won't deny I know him. I think about James, the brother of Jesus, and ask yourself something. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? He's the half-brother of Jesus. The Bible tells us he was a skeptic. He didn't even believe that Jesus was who he said he was, and at least while he was alive. But when he resurrected, something happened in James. Because it's not very long after Jesus returns to heaven that James is elevated to a leader in the church. He writes the book of James, and later when the enemies of Christ came and said, renounce your faith or we'll kill you, he's, he refused to do it. So they pushed him off of the temple. He fell about 100 feet. He doesn't die. They ambush him, and they say, renounce your faith. And he looks up to heaven just as Jesus did and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they were continued to beat him with clubs until he died. The half-brother of Jesus, skeptic, but eyewitness, willing to die. That builds my faith. I think about the Apostle Paul who hated Christians. His hatred ran so deep that he killed them. And then he, in a vision, meets the resurrected Christ and is so transformed that although he hated Christians, he becomes the leader of Christians. And he preaches ferociously and says, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then, when they beat him and they left him for dead again and again, finally they get to him and they torture him and said, renounce your faith. And he said, nope, I will never do so. And they beheaded the one who hated Christ and was now willing to die for Christ. That builds my faith. And then, there's Thomas, who is unfair, unfairly branded as a doubter. Because you see, Thomas was a man of great faith. Yes, he may have started off with some doubts, but a personal encounter with Jesus changed everything for Thomas. A personal encounter with a risen Jesus gave him faith that would last for the rest of his life. You see, doubt is not the end of faith. For many, it's only the beginning. And once Thomas got what he needed, got his personal moment with Christ, he traveled farther than any other disciple, going all the way to what is now modern-day India, 
to preach the gospel because he so believed they needed a relationship with Christ that had transformed him. He wanted them to experience a personal relationship with Jesus too. And when they met him early in a cave one morning and said, renounce your faith, the enemies of Christ, he said, I'll never renounce my Lord and my God. The exact same exclamation he made when he recognized that Jesus was alive indeed, he renounced, when they asked him to renounce, he says the same thing, I'll never renounce my Lord and my God. And they drove a spear through his body. The Jesus that Thomas doubted was the Jesus that Thomas was willing to die for. That tells me that even in the midst of doubt, faith can blossom and bloom into something so great. Thomas believed in Jesus enough to die for him. I would ask you this this morning. I'm not asking you to believe enough to die for him, but would you at least believe enough to live for him? Do you believe enough today to live for him? Has he done enough to give you a personal connection to him that would cause you to want to live for him? Because it builds my faith. Every now and then when I think about these things, my faith gets louder and louder. And sometimes my faith is talking so loud that even I can't even hear what my doubt has to say. You see, my faith is not always perfect. I have doubts just like everybody else. The last few weeks, I have desperately been clinging to a shred of faith, holding back my doubts. Even as many of you have prayed for me that God would heal my leg and have heard from God for my healing and stood firm on faith for me. There have been moments when it's your faith that has carried me and there have been moments when I questioned if somehow I was a disappointment to God because it wasn't healing up as fast as I thought it was or because your prayer hadn't come to pass the way you had heard it from God or I just questioned whether I was even close enough to God for him to heal me like, I, I, like he's done for so many others. At least he hadn't done it the way I thought he should have in the time frame that I thought he should have. My wife tells me, you're healing, you just got to be patient. And I could have just as easily preached on patience this morning. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I put my foot on the floor on Sunday morning in my office, and pain shot from my heel all the way up through my hip. And I thought, ah, man, I have done something. Something is really bad. I had tore this up somehow. I, I didn't mean to. I was still in it. I was still in I was in the boot. And I thought, I have tore this up because, like, pain just shot all the way up, my, all the way to my hip. And I was like, Lord, what have I done? What have I done? I mean, immediately I was alarmed. I came in here and I sat in service, sat all the way through church. It was on Palm Sunday uh, two weeks ago. And a few hours later, at the end of service, this lady in the church, she was here in first service this morning, said that God told her that she was supposed to come and pray for me. And she was supposed to pray not just for my leg, but for my, not for my, where I had the surgery, my ankle, but she was supposed to pray for my entire leg, from my heel to my hip. Exactly where I had felt the pain go, from my heel to my hip. You see, God wasn't afraid of my doubt. He knew that I was questioning whether he was really working on my behalf, and he knew that my questions were real, and I was concerned about what I was feeling in my leg, and immediately he sent someone to restore my faith in him. He didn't just send somebody to pray for me, but he sent somebody to pray exactly what I needed in the moment that I needed it. You see, even when I doubt, even when I question, he's not run off by my concerns. Rather, he reveals himself to me in a way that moves me through my doubts to faith that believes that the tomb is empty.
and he is risen. He, he died for my sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day and he loves me for who I am and desires to make me into his image. Now, if the musicians would come, maybe you could just stand with me. Matter of fact, yeah, I'm going to stand too. How about that? Maybe you can stand. I'm going to lean. How about that? Is that better? <laughs> Maybe you came today with some doubts. Maybe you got some stuff. Maybe this week some bad things have happened in your home. Maybe you got a bad report from a doctor. Maybe something rough happened that's caused you to be like, I'm not so sure. Jesus said he was working, but I don't know. They talk about at church how Jesus can heal, but my body's saying otherwise. I, 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 maybe, God, are you sure? I mean, uh, anybody ever felt like that? Am I the only one? Am I the only one that looked at my bank account and said, God, I know you're supposed to supply all my needs, but I'm really in, like, need. God, I paid my tithes, and I'm in the negative. What, I, what do I do? Where do I go? Anybody ever felt like that? right? Anybody ever been like, man, I'm doing everything I know to do right, and it feels like everything in my life is falling apart anyway? Anybody ever felt like that? God, where are you at in the midst of my mess? God, have you forgotten about me? Have you left me? Anybody? Am I, only, am I by myself? This morning, I want you to know that we serve a God who is not scared off when you ask questions. He doesn't run away when you get afraid. I'm here to tell you today that your doubt may be the very thing that launches your faith into its greatest moment. Because every doubt is simply a way for God to show himself strong in your life and to give you faith to overcome. What I want from him is to have that personal connection to know that even when I got questions, he's not scared off. This morning, I don't know what it is you're facing. I don't know what it is that's caused you to question. I don't know what it is that's caused you to doubt. Some of you, I know your stories. Many of you, I do not. But I will tell you this. Whatever the story is that you're struggling with this morning, whatever the question is that you're having a hard time with, whatever the doubt is that's entering your mind, even as we're talking right now, I just want you to know God didn't run away because you got, you got doubts. All he's looking for is somebody that says, I believe, but help my unbelief. All he's looking for is somebody to say, I want to believe, but I got some questions. And those questions may have locked you in a room this morning. You may be locked up alone and struggling, trying to find your way out. I just want you to know today, you don't have to leave the room. Because he will come to you right where you are. And reach out to you right where you are. Doesn't matter if you're in the room with a thousand people or all alone, he will come right to you and be like, Thomas, here's my hands. I'm still here. I haven't left you. I'm not dropping you by the side of the road. I am your God and you are mine, and we are going to make this together because he loves you that much. And so they're getting ready to sing. And I told my wife this morning as they began to sing, I, poor Charlotte, I put her through the ringer this morning. I gave her three different altar call songs. I think I hit every song on the list except the first one. But as she was singing this this morning, I had no idea that this song even had this part on it. And it was the first time we've done it here, this part of the song. And uh, 
I told my wife, I said, man, everything changes because Jesus comes in the room. And when you're in the room with Jesus, everything has the potential to change. See, it's not the fact that you're locked in the room. It's the fact that he enters the room anyway. You can't lock him out. He's a gentleman. Yeah, he'll stand at the door and lock, and knock. But when you're locked in the room and you're crying out for him, even the lock won't prevent him from getting to you. Because he knows that if you can connect to him, everything will change. And so I'm going to open this altar as they begin to sing this today. Before they do, I want to pray. If you're in the room today and you've got doubts, if you're willing to lift your hand and say, you know what, sometimes I struggle with doubt, Rodney. I'm not, you're not by yourself. Sometimes I struggle. I just want you to put your hand in the air and just imagine this is my hand to God today. This is my notification to Jesus. I'm struggling with some doubts here, Lord, and I need you to show yourself strong to me, not because you have to, but because you love me enough to find me where I am in my locked room and you'll come to me and give me what I need in the moment to connect to me personally. Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for every person who just an act of faith today reached their hand toward heaven to say, I'm not always positive. I do believe in God, but I'm struggling sometimes with some stuff. And Lord, I'm praying today, God, that act of faith that they're making right now, Lord, that you would respond to it and you would come into their locked room, wherever they may be, walk into the room with them right now, God, and show yourself strong to them and help them to recognize, God, that you are for them and you are with them, that you will never leave them nor forsake them, that you have their best interests at heart. You did die for their sins according to the scripture, that you, but you refused to stay down. You came back so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And today we surrender ourselves to you, God. Yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me, Lord, to never, rem- never forget that you are for me and you are with me. Help me, Lord, in spite of my doubt, to be everything you want me to be. In Jesus' name, I thank you today. In Jesus' name. As they began to sing, this altar is open. If you'd like to come today and just connect to Jesus in a very personal way, I believe he's here to do that for you. Yeah. 
Church. God bless you.